Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You are now listening to the Dual Position podcast. The boys are back to talk all things Super Coach all season long. Please welcome your hosts, Whisper and Brew. Well, on Monday, we looked at the hookers, or should I say lack of. Uh, as Brew and I discussed, there is very little options outside of one Harry Grant. Did as much as we could to break it down, but it's looking like one of those spots where you pick the best available and, and hope some cheapies emerge. I am your host, the SC Whisperer. You are listening to the Dual Position Podcast, the one-stop shop for all things Supercoach, the place to dominate your mini leagues, the place to win your cash comps, be the talk of the town. As always, I'm joined by my wonderful host, Brew SC. Mate, as we saw on Monday, hookers... Bit slim, but today we're looking at front row forwards, and there looks to be a far, far, far more options available. Yeah, there's um, there's plenty of options, and we're going to discuss quite a few of those today. I think there's one set and forget at a decent price, and I think majority of your serious teams will have that person. And then I think beside that, it's a little bit of a lottery, uh, but hopefully we can help out the viewers with their decision in that. That one man, mate, Payne Haas, not. Too much more to say. Once Matt Lodge left, once Tevita Pangai left, he skyrocketed in terms of his output. A little bit of a slow start to the year, but came home very, very well. Yeah, um, so 68 average for the season for Payne Haas. He's at 595,000, which is probably a steal for him. Um, has the best base in the position of 54. Uh, his attack is only 15. Um, but we know he does have the attacking potential and he did play in a really poor Broncos side for the last few seasons. Uh, his minutes last season did dip a little bit. They went down to 60. Um, hopefully he can get those back up again this season and, and take on more of a serious workload without Pengai, um, without Matt Lodge, as you mentioned. Uh, he's 60-60 was 65%. So you can he's really reliable. Nearly 70% of the time, you know, he's going to go 60 plus, which is brilliant. Um, speaking of 60-60, in, in years 19 and 20, he actually did that figure 90% of the time, which shows why he was such a super coach stud. Um, and hopefully he can get back to that. His average for the season, a um, little fun fact, if you take out the injury-affected game um, at the end of last season, uh, was actually 71. So that's elite. Yeah, he, he, is, he is a stud. Like, he is... For the last three years, he has been elite. Uh, some people may be concerned about the syndesmosis that he suffered at the end of the season, but uh, the first thing I did was message Brian Sini, a.k.a. the NRL physio, and said, what are these like with performances? And, and he assured me that a syndesmosis is not going to hinder pain Haas. And for that reason, mate, he is in my side. Any changes to, to you and, and your team with surrounding pain Haas? No, he's been in the entire time, and he, short of him being injured in the preseason, he's not leaving. Yeah, the only time that we're gonna, that I'm probably ever gonna look at getting him out. I don't, I don't even know if I will get him out during Origin. I think he's just one of those guys that I'm gonna have barring injury from rounds one to twenty-five. Not a whole lot more to say. Number two on the list, Isaiah Papali'i. He has the jewel. 
Uh, we'll touch on him in the front rower section because I'm just not sure what Brad Arthur's going to do with him next year. Look, he was elite playing to RF. Coming off the bench, he was fantastic. Uh, but the issue that I find is I'm not too sure where he goes, whether they start with Sean Lane and Ryan Madison because him coming home last year, he went 46, 45, 74. And in that 74, he played close to 80 minutes. So he's basically... Yeah, you're just over one ppm kind of guy. He's going to have to get 65 minutes to be back at sort of where he is, and he's going to have to get 65 minutes on the edge for, for my liking. Yeah, so when he plays at prop, uh, I haven't done the stats on his on what his average and whatnot is at prop, but it did dip a lot, uh, and his minutes went down extremely much when he was playing at prop as opposed to um, second row. I think he's priced out of consideration this year. Uh, he's nearly $700,000. Um, not knowing where he's going to line up, whether it be prop or if he stays on the edge, it's a it's a bit of a risk to take. Um, going through his numbers from last year, they're absolutely sensational. They're easily um, a standout. He averaged 79, sorry, 78.5, which is phenomenal. Uh, his base was 54, equal with Payne Haas. Um, as is the highest, uh, his base was 27. Uh, the only other man that can match that I'll talk about in a little bit and 67 minutes, 70% of the time going 60, 60. So yeah, he, he was elite. Um, but personally he's someone I'm going to have a wait and see, uh, hope that he dips in price before I look at that option. Yeah. hundred K more than Payne Haas and averaged what nine, nine and a half points better, but I'm just not sure. Look, if he if we get guaranteed that he's going to play sixty five minutes on the edge, I don't mind the seven hundred k. But that that comes with a big caveat that he has to play uh, minutes on the edge. And for seven hundred k, I probably just can't take that risk. Another man that I can't take a risk on either is Luke Thompson. No idea what's happening with him. I think he's in a similar boat to Nelson Asper Solomon right now, and coming at a, at a hefty price more. Look, he is a workhorse. He will pump through the work. Like, I'm not worried about him getting through the work. I'm worried about him staying on the field or even getting on the field with whatever regulations they, they have and they put in place with COVID vaccinations. You've got the stats on him, but just passing the eye test, like, he, he churns out work, and I'm not concerned about that, as I said. It's a case of whether he's going to get on the park. My concern, I haven't even really factored that in, to be honest. Um, I didn't know he was one of the ones in that kind of COVID bubble. Um, he's just, it's not, the Bulldogs have bought so heavily. I don't know what that will do for him. Um, maybe it gives him more attacking upside. Uh, maybe he plays less minutes um, with more impact. I don't know, um, but he's not the only stud in that pack anymore. Um, so it might be a reduced workload. Um, going off last year's numbers, his base is equal to that of Haas and Papali'i. So he's a lead in that category. Only 15 attacking stats, but he played for the Wooden Spooners, so that's to be expected. Only actually played 56 minutes last year. He had a really good PPM. Um, but for me, I just feel like there's better options that I would prefer to take. You talk about him not being the stud in the pack anymore. and they've The Bulldogs have, a, have sort of acquired heavily, and, and that brings us on to Tevita Pangai Jr., a guy without the hugest base in the world, but he makes up for it in the, the evade or the power is what we call it when we refer to base and power. Plenty of offloads, plenty of tackle busts. It's, it's another case of, is he going to stay on the park? Last year, he wasn't too bad. Last year, he did get through a fair few games and, and was part of the Penrith Premiership side, which you'd think would get him a little bit of experience, but... 
Tavita Pangai, like he's in my side. I'm not thrilled about it, but he's at a, he's at a good enough price that I think it's worth taking the risk. In my side too, and I got really high hopes for him this year, playing on that left edge. Um, as you said, so last season, 65 was the average. Um, 80-minute games, that bumps up to 68. So not a huge increase. His average minutes for the season was 61. Obviously, his time at Penrith did drag that down a little bit. Brisbane used him a little bit funnily at times as well. Sometimes he came off the bench. Sometimes he started on the edge. Sometimes he played at props. So it's it was it was just really hard to know what Pango was going to do last season. But when when he did start, 68 average is is great. Um, that pushes him up around the Payne Haas figures. Um, his attacking upside's massive, so equal highest in the position of 27. Uh, and 67% of the time actually went above 60 last year, which is actually really good. If, if you said that 70% of the time a player was going to go 60-plus for your team, you'd bank that. So it's all well and good for us to say that we like a player or we don't like a player, but I guess we, we have to give the reasoning as to why we like him so much. What what is it the stats? Is it just a feeling you've got? What gives you big expectations for, for Tavita Pangai? Uh, playing outside Matt Burton, for one. Um, so it's rumoured he'll play on the left edge, which is also the side that you got Addo Carr and probably Brent Naden on. I think that's going to be an electric left edge. Um, and for that reason, that is why I'm super keen on Pangai this year because we know what he's like. Um, there's a little bit of David Fafita about him close to the line. Um, I feel like there could be a lot of tries on offer. So just to play devil's advocate, because I'm sure we'll get this conversation, why do we like Tavita Pangai so much but not like Matt Burton? I'm sure that's a, a comment that we'll get, and I'd love to hear your thoughts as to why we prefer one and, and not the other, because I'll let you answer it. I think you and I have the, the same answer. Forwards have base stats. Forwards have hit-ups. They have tackles, so they don't necessarily rely on the attacking stats as much. They do to push their average to elite areas, but for a short-term period of time, if they do have a tough draw, they're still going to have a, a much better floor than like a Matt Burton would, who might only get a 20 or a 25. You know, Pangai's probably still going to get 45, 50 on a bad day. So That's the difference. So for, for the new players out there, why why are base stats so, so crucial for a forward that's, that's your meat and potatoes. That's when you look at it. So when I look at my side, I will look at the base figures and go, okay, the absolute floor for this player based on historical data is that Pangai is going to get 41. Now we know that even if the Bulldogs play these tough sides, he's still going to get some tackle busts. He's still going to have the occasional offload. So you can probably bump that figure up. And this is what we refer to as base and power. You can probably bump that up to about 50. If they get 50 on a bad day, that's not going to ruin your round. It's not going to ruin your season um, because you'll make up for it um, at some point in time when he scores 120 on the edge. Um, if Burton goes through a sustained period of time of 20s, 25s, because the Bulldogs are losing 18-6 or 30-6, to six, depending on who they're playing, that's only one real opportunity for Burton to get his bread and butter, which is try assists, line break assists, etc. So... As I said, I know the answer to this and a lot of people know the answer to this, but I will explain it. The reason why we like base more over over backs is because it's, it's a lot more volatile. Uh, is that fair to say when it comes to guys like Matt Burton who need who need those sort of try assists to, to rack up a high score? Yeah, absolutely. 
and you don't like people might say similar for fullback, but fullback's different. They're workers as well. They take the hit-ups. Um, they get the tackle bus. They get the offloads as well in the modern game. So they're a bit of a different kettle of fish to compare to now. Bit of a hybrid, basically, when it comes to, to your scoring. Cool. I just wanted to to, to cover that because I, I do get quite a fair few questions asking why we talk about base so much and why forwards generally are a little bit safer um, for you guys that are seasoned supercoach players. You know what we were talking about, but we, we have to cater for everyone because we do get new players all the time and it's always good to grow the game. So after all that, we like Pengai just because of, of that X factor that he has basically a cheaper version of Fafida with an improved half. Uh, obviously, Nathan Cleary um, at the Panthers, but he wasn't really playing much on the edge. He, Ivan Cleary sort of rotated him through the middle a little bit. He stuck to, to Liam Martin, kick out and Capewell as his sort of back rower options and, and rotated Eisenhuth and Sorensen and, and Tevea Pengai through the middle. So... Yeah, I think Matt Burton is a, is a different kettle of fish to you guys like your Brody Crofts or your Albert Kellys or your Tyson Gambles who we, we touched on. But don't be surprised to see Pengai have a game where he has 30 in base, but 70 or not 70, 30 in base and maybe 45 points innovating because he just racks up tackle busts and offloads and he loves doing that as well, which is very similar to Fafita who we'll touch on on Friday. Now, we've got all that out of the way, mate. Uh, we've covered Papali, who we're both a little bit cautious on uh, if he gets the minutes, then then there's definitely viable options there. We've touched on Payne Haas. You, you and I both like him. Luke Thompson is one that we're going to probably miss. To be a Pengai, you and I are both on the same page. We do like him. Now, James Fisher-Harris, very much in the sort of meat and potatoes section when it comes to Supercoach. Not going to get a huge ceiling, but he's never going to really let you down, is he? The only bad thing is he loses his duel this year, which... Not ideal because he was so flexible last year during Origin to be able to switch around uh, and being obviously a Kiwi, he's not going to be affected by Origin as well. But do we like Fisher-Harris? He's priced at a 62. I don't really see him going too far below that. I don't really see him going too far over that. So where do we sit on on Fish? Uh, I don't mind it. Um, I'd rather pay the little bit more for Pengai in his duel um, and he's better 60-60. Fisher Harris went 60% of the time, uh, went 60 points or more 50% of the time last year. Um, now he did lose his duel, as you mentioned. Uh, he He's run home last year. He did tail off a little bit. And that, you know, that can be expected sometimes with these forwards when their work rates, that maybe the, the base and stuff like that drops off at the end of the year. Um his average up until round 19 was 64. Um, now he's priced at a 62. He's been consistent for probably three years now at a 60 average. So I think you could do worse than picking him. I just think that there's probably a few better options. More exciting guys with a higher ceiling for a similar price. I'm not too sure how much we want to take into this, but we have to remember that Fisher Harris did exit the COVID bubble last year to attend the birth of his child. So when it comes to those dropping off scores, he definitely could have suffered probably a little bit of match fitness. Ivan Cleary, I know that didn't play him for traditional minutes. So that's that's a fact we've got to consider. Sometimes it isn't just about numbers that we look at. Uh, that's why it's very good to follow the game outside. You, you understand these little stories that happen. And I definitely think him exiting the bubble and maybe losing a, a bit of match sharpness uh, did hurt him. Look, let's take out those two matches where he came back from the bubble and, and obviously Ivan Cleary was prepping him for the finals. Let's take those two out. The bloke had three scores below 50 all year. So even though the 60-60 wasn't fantastic, he never really went below 50. So sometimes the 60-60 isn't a fantastic metric, but he is super, super consistent. I do agree with you. If you are are a much safer player, 
I don't hate the idea of just picking him because you know what you're going to get. He's he's your standard 50 to 65 points kind of guy. Awesome. But if you're put off by the X factor of Pangai, if you're worried that he's going to be out with suspension or whatever, I don't hate picking up Fisher-Harris because, like I said, you know that he's a safe 55 uh, moving forward. Like, his base is 45 just in pure work and that he's... He really came into his own last year, probably establishing himself as a lot of people were saying the best front row in the game. I still think that goes to Payne Haas. It's hard to dispute that. But Fisher-Harris definitely staked the claim to be up there in the conversation, didn't he? He's definitely in the conversation. And that's why I don't mind the pick. It's just come the end of this podcast, I'm going to mention a few names and go through a few numbers. And I just think that you could probably get what you're going to get from Harris, but potentially for 80 to 100 grand cheaper. Definitely, definitely. And look, we talked about another Kiwi who who really sort of came into his own last year. At Manly, it was sort of him and Marty Tapao, a really good strike duo. But at the Warriors, he only averaged 57.6, but was was had a pretty bad injury and whatnot. And that's Adam Fenor Blake. I I actually really like this one for, what is it, 100, 505K? I, I definitely can get it behind AFB. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've, be, I've been toying with the idea of whether I can get three gun forward so I can play play AFB. Um, and it's something I might look at down the line at the moment. I haven't done it. Um, looking purely at numbers, his average last year was 57.6. Um, his base was 48, uh, which certainly is not too shabby at all. His attack was only 11, and I think he's a better player than that. Um, and his minutes were at 55. Now, his minutes actually increased at the back end of the season. Um, when he did move across to the Warriors. So there is a chance that he could be looking at a guy that plays 60 minutes next season. Um, If you take out the injury-affected games from last season, he actually had a 63 average, which puts him in that top tier of the guys that we've just spoken about. He's fit and he's healthy, and I know that for a fact, Um, for the next season. um, He was playing through niggling injuries for a lot of last season, and obviously he came back from what was you know, said to be a season-ending injury. He's had that surgery now. Um, he should be good, good to go. I'm told he's training, that he's good. I really like the idea of Fenua Blake being a top five front row forward this year. Yeah, I, I can get behind that as well. Like, first game back from injury off the bench, played 47 minutes, then 58, then 76, then 54, 76, 49. Very, very inconsistent. Had the week off against the Tigers in round 20 and then came home with 54, 63, 63, 52, 61 when it comes to minutes. But the scores were great. He was getting through PPMs. He had a 1.16, 1.11, 1.29, 1.12, and 0. What is that? 64. I'm blind. I can't read. But PPMs there. Like he he is a historical between sort of 1 and and 1.2 PPM kind of guy. If you get 60, that's what, what's that 65 average, which is a big jump in what he is. I think he's underpriced at 505k. Um, I have Paul Vaughan in my side, and I'm definitely looking at trying to find the extra 20k to, to bump up to AFB because I do like him. My initial thoughts were I liked him, and yeah, I don't hate the claim of him being a top five front row forward because yeah, we, we saw it there. Like he had a 50, was it 57 with injury effect, and if he plays the whole season fully fit, and if the the rumors around Matt Lodge not being particularly liked, um, and he may force an exit or something, then AFB is the main guy. And look, I don't think a front rower is going to be too affected by a halves partner, but getting Sean Johnson isn't going to hurt him whatsoever, is it? It's not going to hurt any of them. 
All right. To be honest, um, yeah, I really like the addition of SJ. I think he'll make him a better club. Yeah, like, like I said, I, I don't think it's going to have a, a negative impact on him. Um, so it kind of be a positive, which which is the way I look at it. Now, this one took me by surprise. I didn't realise that CSE where Takiyaho was off to England in 2024. That one sort of caught me off guard. As a Roosters man, goal-kicking forward, you, you love to see it. But I think he's so slowly starting to sort of come off a little bit. I know that we said AFB had injuries and, and we liked him coming back from it. But AFB just seemed, not AFB, uh, Takiyaho just never seemed to really establish himself after sort of round five, round six. Yeah, I'm really, um, I'm really cold on TKO for this year. Um, I love him as a player. I'll be sad to see him leave my club. Um, I'll run through the numbers and I'll give my opinion, but to be honest, I'm, I'm real cold on TKO as a super coach option this year. Last season, the average was 57.4, a um, little bit of goal kicking in there, but by the end of the season, he wasn't doing that. His base is 48, um, which is about the par um, for, you know, starting front row forwards. Uh, his attacking figures were 12. His minutes were only 52, which re- seems really low, uh, especially considering, you know, a guy like Lindsay Collins missed, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters of the season. Um, and, yeah, so his minutes fluctuated a lot last season. Um, and his overall minutes per game play dropped by five from the season prior. So it seems like he's slowly going downhill. Um, and given that he's leaving the club and the Chooks have quite a few of the younger forwards coming through, I think he'll move more into a rotation impact type player off the bench with lesser minutes. I loved him last year. I probably was one of the biggest podcasts advocating for TKO because I just love the goal kicking that he had. And at the time, Sam Walker wasn't featured. Obviously, like the first four, three or four rounds, Sam Walker wasn't featured. Um, Trent Robinson basically come out and said that, that, that they're not going to use him, but they were forced with, with the injury to, to Luke Keary. But he started off with, what was it, 76, 64, 79, 68, 66. And that was basically all, all down to goal kicking. Like, he was he was a machine. But after that, I think he had four games over, um, four games over 60 for the rest of the year, uh, which included basically all four of them uh, sorry, five games over 60, and four of them were in the last four rounds when Trent Robinson went through that weird phase where he was playing Jadwee Hardgraves for like 80 minutes a game. Takiyaho was playing big minutes, and I think he was forced to because uh, the Roosters' young sort of forwards didn't really deliver. You think of guys like Daniel Saluka Fafita, who got sin-binned, um, didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, Egan Butcher probably wasn't ready to play big minutes in first grade, so Trent Robinson was forced a little bit to play his middles in for big minutes, and I just I don't see that happening. We saw that that Robbo was very happy to rotate his guys midway through last year whenever there was a niggle or a drop in form or whatever. And I just worry that TKO is is that guy that may be benched for someone like Lindsay Collins or, or even yeah. So I'm I'm cold on him like like you, I mate. Unfortunately, if he was nailed into goal kick, different story because that adds 15, 20 points a game in that Rooster side. But you've got a couple more options there: Kieran, Momorowski, Walker probably all ahead of him in the pecking order. We saw that with Adam Kieran when he started as well. So you're right, mate. Uh, you and I are both cold on TKO, unfortunately, because, yeah, you you got to love the goal-kicking front rower. Now, uh, this guy was the shining light in a really bad Queensland side last year, a, a really good leader up at the Gold Coast. Uh, Mo Fodawaka, average of, what is that, 59.5? So 60 points. Surprising, considering he generally goes under the radar quite often. He's actually... 
done 60 point average for two straight seasons now. So I think that in itself has flown under the radar at 520. You could do worse than pick a bloke that's coming off two back-to-back seasons of 60 point average. Um, his base is 45. Again, it's just in the par regions for those forwards 16 uh, in attack. So again, he's probably only in the middle areas um, and 51 minutes. So those minutes dropped by seven minutes last season. So I, I'm guessing that might be the Tino factor um, coming to the club. I'd be interested to see if, if he did get a increase in minutes, what he could average because his PPM was fantastic. Uh, so yeah. He's not the worst option. Keep, keep going, mate. Finish your point. I'll pull up, I'll pull up uh, his sort of historic PPM. Yeah. So um, 43% of the time he went above 60 last year. So you're not going to get the same type of glorious numbers from the players coming up um, because most of them are newish or they're younger. They're not yet absolute guns for super coach. Um, but 520K is not too bad for a 60 average. You, you can pay... What James Fisher Harris is a you know mid mid fives and he's only got a sixty average so I definitely don't mind it. As I thought when you were saying that his minutes dropped but he still maintained the sixty average. Two thousand twenty average fifty eight points a game. Sorry, average fifty eight minutes a game with a PPM of zero of one point zero two for an average of sixty. So bigger minutes, lower PPM. Last year average sixty, the exact same as the year before. Dropped down in minutes, as you said, a seven-point decrease down to 51 minutes a game, but an uptick in PPM to 1.17. So looking at it, if he's going to play reduced minutes, that's fine because he's the kind of guy that looks like he can still churn through the work uh, when needed. So yeah, don't don't hate the fact that minutes have dropped. If the PPM stayed the same, that'd be concerning. Yeah, absolutely. But I just think, you know, if he, if he kept that PPM and played for an extra five minutes, that would be lovely because then he's a 65 average and that's almost set and forget. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the fine margin when it comes to these sort of mid-range guys. Like, a lot of them are going to be priced around 60, 57, 60 average a game. But if you can find maybe three or four points worth of upside, it changes them completely, doesn't it? Absolutely. Now, it takes them from someone that you move on to someone that you can potentially hold for a long period of time. Probably one of the biggest bolters last preseason. Everyone was talking about him. The White Rhino, Christian Welch, Queensland front rower. Average 59.2 with a 47 base, 14 attack in, what was that, 52 minutes a game. With the news going around, mate, we we touched on this with Brandon Smith. He's going to have to play 13. There's guys dropping out. I I like Welch. I think Welch is going to have to play some decent minutes until everything resolves itself. Yeah, so like my notes for here said that his minutes already went up by nine minutes last year. So that kind of made me go, oh, would they go up again? But... If there's a need for it and he can do it, um, he's certainly a good enough player, future captain, Queensland stud. Um, he's very consistent for a, a good 50 or 60. Um, he's only 2K less than Moe, uh, who we just discussed. So I actually prefer Fodawaka, but if Welsh could get an increase in minutes, he'd certainly be a smoky option. As of right now, I prefer Fodawaka as well. But with the, with the added fact that, that who knows what's going to happen. So basically, 2020, Welch played 43 minutes a game. Last year, played 52. So that, like, like Bruce said, that was a nine-minute uptake. But still, 52 minutes a game is probably there or thereabouts. I don't... How do I put this? I don't think he wouldn't be able to play 50, 55, 
to 59 minutes a game. And that would bump him up with his PPM to, to around that 65, similar to what we discussed with Fodawaker. So he's not a guy that, that will, you will have all season because you'd think once Nelson asks for Solomona and either if Tui comes back in or, or one of the bench guys sort of starts to pick up a little bit, you'd think Welch's minutes may drop down because he is so reliable. Uh, Bellamy knows sort of what to get out of him. But for the first five or six rounds, if he does get that minute increase, even if it's only four or five minutes a game, like... I prefer him over Fodawaker if that is the case. Yeah, I agree. He needs the minutes. And the unfortunate thing is we get through a full round before we get to see proper minutes in the NRL. So it's going to be backing your gut. If you see something and go, you know what, I look at that lineup and this is what I think the minutes will be, then then just back yourself. Now, Daniel Saifidi has come out of nowhere I'm sure Knights fans have appreciated him for years, but I remember he was picked for Origin, I want to say 2020, and he was an IRA raiser. So everyone sort of was like, oh, where, where did this bloke come from? But he started in Origin, and ever since then, he has been a fantastic leader for the Knights. And, and as someone that, that lives here in Newcastle but doesn't go for the Knights, I get to sort of look at him without that aspect. And he is a very, very good player. He is a very probably one of the best attacking props in terms of like try scoring ability, doesn't churn through as much work as the other guys. You look at someone like uh, in pure base, he gets through the work. He's probably one of the one of the higher base guys when it comes to these middling guys. But I guess when it comes to tackle busts and offloads, he's not as exciting as a, as a Tevita Pen guy, obviously. But he he just churns through work. He is priced at five hundred and fifteen k cheaper than Welch. And look, I don't know what's happened with David Clemmer, but Adam O'Brien just does not seem to favour him. So. Saifidi, Daniel, that is, could just continue to see an uptick in production. Yeah, so his minutes were 54, um, which is, again, that's pretty much a normal type of range. Um, Around that 50 to 55 is quite normal for a prop. But at times last season, he was forced to play 80 minutes, so he's definitely got a motor on him. Um, He's got brilliant base, as you said, so he's actually in the same conversation as Yahasas and Papali's when it comes to his base, he's only slightly below them and he's above all the other names that we've mentioned. So he's definitely a worker. He would just need the minutes. And last season, his minutes fluctuated heavily. Um, when he got good scores, it was generally because of scoring. He needs to add kind of the create evade stats, I think, um, to really push himself up into that elite conversation, I do think he can be a sixty to sixty-five average player. Yeah, he's got to he's got to find that free hand in the tackle. He's just got to get an offload, and then he'll be he'll yeah. be a weapon. The problem being, he's still though, young but so some of these younger guys develop that over time. So it could come down the line. It's just being able to you know jump on at the right time, I guess. What 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 does worry me about him developing that offload is they've got Frizzell and they've got Barnett, two guys who are. I won't say erratic, but definitely look to get their hands free. And I'm not too sure if, if O'Brien wants a, a third guy in the mix to be like, all right, let's let's chuck the ball around even more. But if you can find it, definitely. It's And we're saying this for a lot of these, these guys. Like, apart from Haas, a lot of these guys have big caveats against their names, don't they? And that, that, that's why Payne Haas is so reliable, because it's hard to really put a bad thing against his name. Papali'i, we worry about the minutes. Penga, we worry about him getting on the field. Thompson, same thing. Fisher-Harris, not really exciting. Safe pair of hands. Uh, Takiyaho, we're cold on. Fodawaka, Welch, Saifidi, all in that sort of similar boat, aren't they? Um, apart from AFB, yeah. apart from Adam Fnall-Blake, who has that explosive X factor, these guys between your 500 and your 540K, 
it's probably throwing a dart at, at a dartboard and, and, and not hoping, but if you make an educated decision, if you say, look, I, I watched Iafidi last year, I can see him developing. It's like things that the stats can't show you. The eye test is so key, isn't it? Absolutely. And you can throw a blanket over all these recent guys that we've spoken to. Most of their stats, most of their numbers and their price are all similar. So if you're going this price route, then you're just going to have to back yourself, do some research, have a look at the draws and see if there's something you like and take your punt. And that might be what it comes down to. As you said, Welch, Saifidi and uh, who was the last one we were talking about and Fodawaka. Yeah, you can throw a blanket over them and it, it might just come down to whose draw you prefer to start the first five or six rounds if, if you don't want to go a pain half route or if you don't want to go one of the cheaper guys who we'll talk about in the next sort of 10 minutes or so. One guy, mate, I am very, very cold on. I'll have to wear a jumper when talking about him. It's Martin Tapao. Now, father time, as we said with Damien Cook, he's undefeated and Tapao is slowing down. No two ways about it. He is. Um, I'll run through his numbers and then I'll give you an interesting stat. Um, so he's very similar to the other. So 58 average, 47 base, 15 attack, which is slightly higher than, say, Saifidi and TKO and even AFB. Minutes, 50, which is far less than the others. So I know it might only be four or five minutes, but for props, that's a lot of minutes. Four or five, four or five minutes is, is upwards of it's massive. seven, eight points. Yeah, it's like the difference between a 65 and an 80-minute hooker, basically, if you're comparing what we discussed earlier this week. Well, that's the thing. Sorry, sorry, mate, just before you go. That's the thing. Like, people may look at a 61 average and think, oh, that's not bad. But in your mind, 61 to 58, it's a big jump when it comes to just looking at the numbers. I know three points isn't much, but it's just the fact that one starts with a six and one starts with a five. And that can be what the difference with these minute droppings are. Yeah, so my interesting stat is that there was a five-week stretch last year um, where he played off the bench. He actually averaged 72.4 coming off the bench as an impact player. That's that's an interesting stat because if he was named on the bench this year and he came on with a similar type of intensity and could score freely because we know that he's got an offload, we know that he's a beast and that he can get his arms free and whatnot. And if he had a license to do that off the bench, then suddenly you might be looking at an option. But that said, he's probably going to start front row for them this year. He's coming off his worst super coach season, basically. He's not someone I'm even considering. But it's not it's not it wasn't his worst season last year. It's in two thousand and seventeen averaged sixty five. Two thousand and eighteen averaged sixty six uh sorry, sixty five again. Two thousand nineteen sixty one, two thousand twenty uh sixty, two thousand twenty one fifty eight. So that is just a a drastic decline. It, that, that is a decline of seven points over five years, and it's a decline that is, is just continuing, despite the minutes not really moving a whole lot. Uh, the PPM last year was down. Like I said, the points were down last year. And and the fact that he is getting rotated... I mean, he played basically all but one game last year, so he is reliable in a sense that he played as much as he was available. But the big thing, and, and you can give me the base, the power, the stats, the whatevers, it's the fact that he is dropping year on year, and that is concerning for me. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the father time thing. His average is dipping by about two points per year. If he's going to average 55 or 56 this year, simply put, there's better options. And that's going to round out the quote-unquote guns. I mean, we could have stopped guns at Payne Haas, and, and that's about it, but... Look, that's sort of every guy up until the 500k price bracket. 
we do have one, two, we've got six guys, six guys between sort of 460 and 450K. So another one, not a lot of these guys you can put blankets over, but I think a few of them here we like more than others. And I think a few of them have better points. We keep, we keep mentioning his name, Nelson Asfasolomona. Now, at 460K, for me right now is a no-go because of the COVID situation. Until we know more, I can't go near him. But what can we expect from him once cleared to play? Is he a guy that we could look at, especially if Bellamy decides to bring him back to the bench? We might get him at a slightly reduced rate. What are the stats that, that suggest Nelson could be relevant this year? I owned Nelson last season for the majority of the season. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, and I had these high hopes that his minutes would increase um, and that his PPM, which for now for three seasons has been 1.2 all the way up to 1.5, which is elite, elite PPM. It's great PPM. Uh, I banked on that last season and all I got was a 45 to 55 per week. And I don't really see that changing, to be honest. Um, last season, his average was 52.5, which is almost the worst of all the people that we're going to talk about. Uh, his base is 36, which means that he has a really poor base. His attack is 20. Okay. That probably no surprise that he has a good attack. We, he's a big, strong boy. Uh, and his minutes were only 41, which is just really, really low. Um, I don't, I think there's too much uncertainty with Melbourne, their forwards, you know, you've got all these guys to come back in in round two. He's a harder void for me. He is a huge body. Five metres out from the line, Harry Grant's going to look up and see Nelson running and just dump it to him. He is. He has the third best attack on the list of names we've got. And that is behind Isaiah Papali'i, who played on an edge, which I think is a bit skewed because a little bit easier to score tries against halfbacks than it is against middlemen. And the next one is Savita Penga, who also played on an edge as well for the majority of the time. So basically... Out of the out of the front row only club, he has the best attack, which you said is no surprise. He is a huge man. I would not want to run into him on a dark night, but he he just he just doesn't get the minutes. If for some reason half the Melbourne forwards drop dead, then yeah, cool. He probably might jump up to 52, 53 minutes a game, and and when we get to that with that elite PPM, all over it. But for 460k, I mean, even for probably 360k, it'd be hard to look at him, especially with the circumstances we've got moving on. Another man, look, you mentioned in our preseason team reveal you couldn't get behind Jack Devellin because of who he was. I don't see how we can get behind Matt Lodge then if we're going to use that that analogy. Yeah, I'm not commenting on that. I'll talk about Matt Lodge, the player. <laughs> you, can't, um, you can't just leave me high and dry like that. Not, not putting out my political oh. opinions on a podcast, oh. thank you. Um, so Matt Lodge, average last year was 56.8. Uh, his base is 44, which is, again, it's it's kind of the nuts and bolts of, of the position. It's about average. His attack is actually good, uh, 17, which would actually rank him fourth, I think, of all the guys that we've spoken about today. So that's good areas. Um, 52 minutes was the average for the season. However, he had a increase of five to seven minutes when he moved across to New Zealand. So that figure might be skewed a little bit. You could actually see him playing a bit more uh, minutes. Um, His base was 46 at New Zealand. His average at New Zealand was 62. So I wanted to differentiate the two uh, because his numbers were actually a lot better with the increased minutes at New Zealand than they were at the Broncos. So 
I haven't heard the he's out of favor stuff that you mentioned earlier. So I can't really comment on that, but based on pure numbers at 498 K, so a little bit higher than the guys that we're currently discussing. I don't hate it. Um, I think he will have a good season, but again, there's some cheaper guys that we will discuss very soon that I prefer. Yeah, I think you could put a red line through the first couple of rounds when he was at the Broncos. Remember, he did a hamstring as well, so he'd be working back from that, which is never easy for a front rower. And yeah, him in New Zealand was, was fantastic. Uh, I really, really like him. At 498k, though, I much prefer AFB at 505 for the $7,000 price difference. I think AFB yep. just has so much more upside than Matt Lodge. I'm not saying Matt Lodge is a bad option, but it's probably what we're going to get from him. Um, a couple of years ago when the game was a little bit slower, he was elite. I think he averaged 64. But, yeah, as, as time goes on and the game gets quicker, I think we're moving more and more away from guys like Matt Lodge, despite he'll serve a job for New Zealand. Mate, oh, look, this one hurts to talk about because all preseason last year I called Tino Fa'asul Malawi one of the biggest traps going around. And then I watched the last trial game where he, I think he scored two tries against the Warriors from memory and then I said, stuff it, he's in my side and... A little bit of a letdown for Tino, wasn't it, last year? The problem with him is he was so lethal at Melbourne because he had Cameron Smith feeding him balls over the advantage line. Now, I think that is so, so key to to, to note. It was Mitch Rain last year. It was Aaron Clark. And no disrespect to those guys, but they aren't Cameron Smith, are they? No, definitely not. There's no statues of those bikes. Um, yeah, like, I've, yeah. What you said makes sense because his PPM dropped heavily at the Titans. His minutes were better, um, but the PPM did drop off. He didn't actually have many attacking stat numbers either at the Titans, which I found really surprising. Um, he had quite a few at Melbourne. I guess that's why so many people last preseason were so high on the bloke. I tempered my expectations last season for Tino. I, I didn't really think he was going to be this 70, 65 to 70 average that everyone was saying that he was going to be. I owned him for all 25 rounds of the season and I flicked him around and played him as necessary. And he became a very handy guy to own. But I realized by the end of the season, he was the bloke that you only play if he plays lock. You do not pick him if he plays prop. His numbers at lock, uh, at prop, sorry, are absolutely horrid. So... The, the, really, the really frustrating thing with Tino was, and I remember back, I'm looking at it here, round four against the Raiders. The bloke played 71 minutes, 71 points in base, 24 points in evade. Had 93 in 71 minutes. The week later, he played the Knights. Now, I wouldn't say the Knights or the Raiders were too far apart when it comes to their sort of team stocks. In, in fact, I think the Raiders probably had a better forward pack on paper, which is what Tino was going up against. So 93 points in 71 minutes, basically all in base. The next week against the Knights, he played 66 minutes. So a five-minute a five drop-off for 26 points. He was just so up and down, and we can never rely on, on those base stats as a, as a good metric, could we? No. Overall, his base stats for the season were 49, which is pretty damn good. Um, but as I said, it just depends where they're going to play him positionally. I assume that he goes back to lock. Um, but we don't know. The, for, that's the, the issue. The forty-nine base, yeah, it was exceptional. But the problem was, it was forty-nine base. That's it. Whereas, Pretty like much. other guys, you chucked in a bit of evade there, you get a score here and there. But for Tino, that was kind of it. Yeah, fantastic work rate, but not a whole lot more. I'd like to see that base drop down 
and and the evade go up similar to it to a TPJ. I know that he is the example we're using, but yeah, the the problem with him was the inconsistency that that we had. One some weeks it'd be a monster performance, the next week it'd be very similar minutes doing nothing, and that was kind of the story of the Titans last year as well. I mean, Fafita was another one that we could bracket in that situation. What are we thinking with Tino? I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's it's a hard no. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, I might consider it if he played lock, um, but I wouldn't do it to start the season. I'd want to see something from him first. I'd want to see something from the Titans because there was a lot of inconsistencies as last year, and it was really frustrating as an owner. To be fa- to be honest, Locke could be on the cards. They've lost Peachy, and we've got Mo Fodawaka. We've got Jared Wallace, who played some really good footy last year, so they could probably be the, the eight and ten. And like I said, with no Peach, could be thirteen on the cards for Tino. I'd probably have to see some more. Even if you told me he was starting at thirteen, I th- I'd have to see some more before I jumped in, especially at the price point when there's some other guys that we've, we've spoken about. And the measuring stick for me is AF- AFB at five hundred and five k. Measuring stick for me is the bloke we're about to talk about. Yeah, look, as a Tigers fan, mate, I really, really hope you're right. Go on. Dino for a sewer. No, wait. We just That's spoke. Quite above it. We just spoke about We just him. spoke Sorry. about Dino. Stef- <laughs> I'm just pulling your leg, people. No, Stefano Udicamano. So I really like Stefano. Uh, I held him the entirety of last season, I played him for the last eight weeks of the season. Um, during that time, he certainly did not let me down and I'll break down why. So in the last eight games of last season, so in these games, he started prop in all of these games. He had a season average of 66 in those eight games, which is top five front throw forward numbers. His minutes increased to 56. His average minutes on the season were 45. So that was an 11 minute increase. Um, his season average was 52. His base was 39. His attack was 14. With Stefano, it's really hard to look at his numbers last year because he did start as a bench player who became a starting forward by the end of the season. He earned that position. I see him in the same mould as Payne Haas. I'm not saying he is Payne Haas. Clip that up. Clip that up. Someone said, clip that up. Bruce said, said Stefano is Payne Haas. Someone clip that up right now. Not my exact words, but I'm saying he, he reminds me he's in that mold. Uh, and I really think over the next coming years, he's going to turn into a top, top front row forward option for super coach. He is my second forward um, in the front row in my team. He's been there most of the preseason. Uh, the only times he hasn't has been if I've moved Pangai up, but I think I prefer having Pangai at second row. So I'm really keen on Stefano. Um, I'm looking at a big season for him. I think worst case scenario, you're probably looking at a guy that will punch you out of 60, 65 every week. He showed last year that he has that little bit of attacking upside with his tries that he scored as well. Um, so I am all in on Stefano. So what do you think he's going to average? Like, like realistically, give me give me a number. 
Uh, somewhere between 64 and 68. So you're saying we're getting 15 points of value out of Stefano, which would make him probably one of the best buys of the year. Personally, I believe that. I could be wrong. Do I? Could be wrong. Do I just pull up? Do, do I pull apart my team right now and just and just put stuff? You're talking me into it, mate. You're talking me into Stefano. That I don't know. Play your own game. But all I'm saying is, is that he didn't start for three games. He started for eight games. Over that period of time, he averaged 66. Like it's not a he, flash he, in the he pan. Did, he did. He did have jersey. a few tries though as well in in there as well. Like that. I remember he went on a bit of a try scoring rampage at the end of the season. I think he scored two tries in three weeks. Um, I think it was around... He definitely I, scored a few. I think I as, a, really as, as a Tigers fan, I think it was around 22 and then maybe 24, I want to say he scored. Um, and they were runaway tries. Like, he is he is devastating ball runner. Just can... I'm not, I'm not dissing Stefano. I think Stefano will be fantastic if given the minutes. My concern is, can we trust Madge? With a young forward, um, I can't see why he couldn't. Like, what other options does he have? Um, I mean, we're paying James Tama for so much money, so they could be forced to playing him there. Um, That's yeah. not why you've got James Tamo, but no, I understand James Tamo is a, is a leadership signing, but I mean, it didn't really help us last year. Um, look, yeah, look, I. I on paper, it works perfect, but we can't trust the Tigers. I'm probably going to start with Stefano, to be honest. Like I think you've you've talked me into it personally. I'm just I'm just worried as a Tigers fan. It's always hard to to back uh, my guys, and that's probably playing a little bit with my heart, a little bit over my head. The reason why I haven't gone Stefano at the moment is because I have gone with short, short Vaughn. Now, Paul Vaughn, um, obviously coming back off a pretty bad situation he put himself in. I think he regrets how that happened. The Dragons let him go. We've got to remember Paul Vaughan was a former Australian and former New South Wales front row forward. We haven't seen that for a couple of years. Mate, the more I talk about this, the less I like Paul Vaughan, the more I like Stefano, but I'll I'll try and t- tough it out. Um, you've put here in your notes, Ricky Roulette victim. I'm not too sure what that is, um, but he's now at the Bulldogs and in a side that has loaded signings as well. He could be could be an, uh, a factor. Uh, he could just help lift that side or he could falter when it comes to minutes. I know that when we did our preseason team reveal, you liked the idea of Vaughn. Are, are you still as high on him as you were? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, it just depends where he's going to play positionally. Like if he's, if he's starting front row forward for the Bulldogs, uh, he's got really good base. Like his base was 49 which is amazing numbers. Um, how much of that so though? How no, much? How much of that though was him playing in a really crap dragon side that needed him to play big minutes? My concern with Vaughn is he's now in a side with what Luke Thompson, um, Jack Hetherington uh, did. Renoff Atoni sign with you guys yet? Has he? Has he moved over? He went okay. to the yeah yeah he's yeah. a rooster. But still, like I, there, there was a lot of options. Adam, uh, not Adam, Adam, Adam Elliott. Josh Jackson can fill through the middle a little bit as well. I think he's more of a minute risk than Stefano is, um, but he is more proven than Stefano is. So it's it's a it's a rock and a hard play situation, isn't it? Look, I think he needs fifty to fifty five minutes at the Bulldogs. If he gets those minutes consistently, I think he'll average about sixty, which means there's value, but less value than than your men, big big Steph. 
Yes. I think and he costs thirty thousand dollars more. Which I need to, is I need, I need to stop. Stefano. I need to stop Stefano's thinking about my younger. team. I need to stop thinking about my team because this is a review podcast. But it is very hard. You've made some very very good points uh, when it comes to to Stefan. It is on my mind, mate. <laughs> I was trying to whilst you were talking about Paul Vaughan, I was trying to bring up Stefano actually, so I could look at that try thing that you spoke about just to see how much of it was. Um, was tries from last season because I know that he definitely did score quite a few tries. Um, All right, I'm changing this podcast name to the Stefano Appreciation Podcast. Um, <laughs> but no, look, I, I'm positive it was 22 and 24 as as a, as a Tigers fan. I'm, I'm I think he had two in two and three weeks. But we're not here to talk about Stefano, unfortunately, as much as I'd love to. Paul Vaughan, yay or nay? Uh, yes, I like him as an option. Definitely at 480, I'd take him over. Uh, I'd probably take him over the, the blanket of people we spoke about earlier, your Tapals and your Welshers and your Saifidis, just because I think there's a little bit of cash upside there. Um, but this is pending that he starts. Obviously, we don't know what the plans are at the Bulldogs and who's going to start, who they've brought over to be more of your veteran head in the side and give that experience. If he starts, I definitely like him. Yeah, as, as do I. Like, he's priced at a 55 average. I do think he exceeds that if given the minutes. Now, price at 462k. A lot of love for Lindsay Collins, uh, mate. I raved over Stefano as a Tigers fan. I'll let you rave over Lindsay Collins as a Chooks fan. Only three tries for Stefano in his game started, by the way. So it doesn't really change my opinion too much. Um, all right. Let, so it, go. let it go, man. Collins. Let it go. Sorry. Lindsay Collins. So if Lindsay Collins can have a. I guess a clean return from his ACL um, and fingers crossed he does. I actually think he could be the pod forward of the year. I think he takes over at the Roosters. Um, you look, Hargraves and TKO, they're both getting a bit older. Um, last year at times they did try to start moving Warrior Hargraves to more of a bench player and experienced player off the bench. It's just the Roosters were pounded with so many injuries last year that they ended up not being able to do it. Collins himself was one of those injuries. So Collins has a base of 48, um, which means that he has a really good work rate. One of the best that we've spoken about today. Uh, his attack is 13, um, which puts him probably in the media uh, average to good areas, I suppose. You know, if you compare him to Haas and Thompson who have 15 uh, average attack, you know, 13 is not too bad. Now his minutes are only 46. So, for me, uh, if he gets that up to, say, 50 to 55 minutes, suddenly you're looking at a player that will average about 65 for the season or anywhere in that 60 to 65 range for $460,000. It's very similar to the words I spoke about Stefano. You can say about Collins, the reason I've gone for uh, Stefano over Collins is simply that one of them's not returning from an ACL. But I do really like the option of Collins. It's just I'm too scared to pick him as a front row forward coming back from an ACL that he did, you know, a third of the way through the season, as opposed to McInnes who did his in the preseason. Personally, I wouldn't be going near Collins at all for the first 10 rounds minimum for me. That's just me and how I like to assess these ACL injuries. The thing that separates Collins is the 1.27 PPM. Now, very small sample size, only six games. But we even look back to the, the year before he played, what is that, 19 games, 18 games, and he had a 1.18 PPM. So minutes slowly going up, 
2020 was the breakout year for Collins. 2021 looked like he was developing nicely. But personally, I just I just can't get behind these ACLs so so soon after returning. Like round 10, different story. You might be hearing me say to Brew on the weekly show that I'm going to pick up Collins. But personally, I just don't like them. Uh, a prime example, go look at Victor Radley's scores last year. Uh, and you can basically see when he started to pick back up full fitness, he started pumping out 70s and 80s like they were nothing. Uh, Lindsay Collins, fantastic worker, great base. If you aren't stressed about the ACL, if you don't care about it, um, then I think I agree with Brew. He could be one of the best buyers of the year, especially at the price range. 460, there's definitely some some upside there. For me, I'm just scared about the ACL. That's, that's my only sticking point, mate. Yeah, and... That's what it comes down to. Do you trust the player returning from the ACL? Um, you know, as you said, Radley did return slow from his ACL. Um, but Radley's probably a guy that also relies a lot more on on the attack um, than probably Collins does. Collins does have a better base. You know, his base is closer to 50. Radley's is at about 40, I think. I don't mind it, um, but... Just be cautious that it is going to come with risk. I think, like I said, I think people will own Collins eventually, but for, I mean, we keep saying his name, but for 5K less, you can pick up Stefano. For 20K more, you can pick up Vaughn. For 40K more, you can pick up AFB if you can find the cash. So if you're not put off by it, go for it. For me, I'm scared personally about uh, an ACL on a forward. Uh, a lot of people mentioned to me, why am I so keen on Kiri? Uh, because Kiri doesn't need to make 30 tackles and 15 hit-ups a game. Um, mate, we're going to finish up with the, the front row forwards. Um, join us on Wednesday, on Friday. Actually, today's Wednesday. So join us on Friday. We're going to be breaking down the two RFs. Strap yourselves in. It's going to be a bit of a long one because there is such quality in the two RF. It's becoming the position that I think is replacing the front row forward and the hooker in terms of just like what we need. Like there are some outstanding names, Crichton, Murray, Fafita, just to name a few. And like today was a little bit deeper than the hooker podcast in terms of the list we can go down, but to RF, there's even more we can discuss on. So very, very excited for that. It's probably the one I'm looking forward to the most because it's going to be the one where teams teams are going to have a lot more to to worry about when it comes to picking. Uh, a bit of feedback from Monday's podcast as well. People want us to talk about more cheapies, Brew. Um, I think you and I, we've said that we're going to do basically a cheapie exclusive podcast close to the season, probably around the end of February. We should know a lot more information then um, considering the, the season starts. I think it's March 10th. So Definitely we'll do a cheapy-only podcast, um, which I'm looking forward to, but I think you'll agree, mate. It's a little bit redundant now considering how far away we are. Yeah, it's better when we get more to the trial stage of the season. We get get a closer look at who are actual genuine bolters for positions. We could just be talking dead air, you know, speculating about this person or that person. It's better to give you guys, you know, a more specific look once we know who we're looking at properly. That's the one thing that... I said to you before I even asked you to come on the show, like the, the vision was that I didn't want a three-hour rambling podcast. Uh, I wanted to try and fill it as much time as possible. Today has gone for just under an hour. Uh, Ten minutes of that was just talking about Stefano. But moving forward, we will we will try, yeah, try and cut them off a little bit um, and just give you guys more regular uploads if we're going to be transparent. That way you can sort of pick and choose. Like If you feel you have a good grasp on the hookers, then you, you didn't need to listen to it. If you, you feel you've got a good grasp on the two RFs, um, you didn't need to listen to it. Rather than condense it all into one super long podcast, I think these 40 to an hour long ones, 
probably work probably look a little bit better for me. Uh, work a little bit better for Brew as well, who has to juggle kids. Whereas I am just a twenty four year old degenerate with nothing better to do than look at Supercoach, mate. We're going to wrap up for today. Uh, very much thank you for coming on once again. Um, I am so keen to talk Supercoach again, mate. It's Look, I know that you and I did a couple of podcasts back in November, but it just didn't feel the same, did it? No. Now that we're getting actual numbers and we're getting that little bit closer and it goes live in probably, say, four weeks' time, and you can smell it. And yeah. I love the smell of Supercoach in the morning. I've been the SC Whisperer. You can see basically on the side of the screen here on YouTube, this side, you can find me on all those platforms. You can find Brew predominantly on Twitter. He floats around Instagram a little bit, but if you want to get in touch with him, Twitter is the place to be. Uh, I've been seeing, receiving a lot of love on TikTok recently, a, a platform I didn't think I'd be on. But uh, yeah, look, if you can give the YouTube a follow uh, for you guys listening out there, as I said on Monday, uh, it's something that you're going to need to be following when the season comes around because we have very, very big plans for the YouTube. Um, if you just listen to podcasts exclusively, that's that's totally fine. But if you want to be interacting with the show, YouTube is the place to be moving forward, uh, especially once the season starts. As always, mate, I have been the SC Whisperer, you have been Bruce C, and uh, ciao for now. Ciao for now. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.